Jewish audio on Kabbat.org. Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilchais Bechoras, the laws of the firstborn, which also include within it the laws of the animal tithe. You count ten animals born that year. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Ten become holy. And it is brought as an offering and then eaten. Now what we actually have in this chapter <coughs> are some very well-known laws in the legal world because there are some interesting legal thoughts here. Because ten is ten and not nine. And ten is ten and not eleven. Pedic Shemini, chapter eight. Hamachnis tzain ladir. What if the farmer... He does what he's supposed to do. He takes the sheep. He's supposed to take the sheep born in that fiscal year. Put them into a corral. And then they started emerging out of the corral. Achas, achas. One by one. Uno, uno. Which is good. That's the deal. And he counts them. One, two. As we explained. So far, so good. So what's the problem? The problem is, he made a mistake in his counting. He didn't do well in school. And he messed up in counting. And when he came to five, six, seven, he went straight to ten. Or he, instead of saying seven, he said ten. Asiri. Does it count when you say ten instead of eight or seven or six? That's one scenario. Similarly, he took the twelfth one, and instead of saying twelve, he said ten. Or, or the thirteenth one. So what we're talking about is eight and down, or twelve and up. Being that they are not the number bordering ten, they do not become sacred because of a mistake. Avo, however, you know when this does apply. If he called the ninth animal ten, or the eleventh animal ten, that's only one off the mark. Niskachu, then this animal, the ninth and the eleventh, has also become holy. But the eighth or down or the twelfth or up will never become holy because it's too far off the mark. And this is a very interesting legal concept. That if he calls the ninth ten, if he calls the eleventh ten, that makes it sacred. Below nine, above eleven, doesn't work. How do we know this? What's the source of this? He says the source of this is It's a tradition that we received from the teachings of the oral law. Which is what the Rambam refers to when he says Kabbalah, we received the traditions. Shahatos, that mistakes, miskatres, become sanctified. The master, when it comes to tithing, only the number above it. The number below it. <coughs> above 10 is 11, below 10 is 9. So if he calls the 11th sheep, the 10th, or the 9th sheep, the 10th, it becomes sacred. But not before, not after, not under 9, meaning 8 or below, or 12 and above. Furthermore, even if he referred to the ninth as the tenth, and then he referred to the tenth as the ninth, and he referred to the eleventh as the tenth, whether in error or intentionally, so he referred to the ninth as the tenth, the tenth as the tenth, the tenth as the ninth, and the eleventh also as the tenth. So you have two of these sheep, which are not ten, were called ten, and then you have the one that's really ten, that was called nine. Whether we did this intentionally or inadvertently, this is a case where all three become holy. And he's going to define what it means when we say they become holy. Because this is a very interesting law, that simply by counting you make something holy. So if you count the wrong one, if you say ten by the wrong one, you got a problem. If it's one number away. So what is the application of the law? What do you do? You have now three sheep. You can't bring all three sheep as a firstborn sacrifice, because you only have one of them. Nevertheless, they become sacred, and they are holy. So what do we do? Hachi Einokare, number nine, that he called ten by mistake, should not be brought as the offering. Ella, what should be done is it should be allowed to wander in pasture until it develops a blemish. And then, Nechal Bemumay, once it develops a blemish, it could be eaten with the blemish, because that's the law. Asiri, the real tenth is Maser, the real tithe sacrifice is number ten, the real tenth. What about the eleventh? Yikrav Shlomim, being that there's a real ten in place, the eleventh should be offered as a free will offering. Now, there is a problem with a free will offering, because a free will offering, we learned earlier, requires meal libations, wine libations, it doesn't come alone. So the Rambam says that's correct. They taught when it requires nesachim, kishlamim, the libations like a regular peace offering. Furthermore, 
Coming up soon are the laws <coughs> of Tumura. Tumura means to exchange. The Torah says when it comes to sacrifices, you look at a sacrifice, you say, ah, this is too good for a sacrifice. Let me take something that's not so healthy looking. Or vice versa, you say, this is too bad. Too sublusion and Zaharget, as Jackie Mason says. Too, it's not good. Let me change. Says the Torah, you should not change it. It is what it is. Well, if you did, says the Torah, it, and the replacement becomes holy. And there's a whole section of laws coming up. The laws after this, which we're learning now, are Shagogot, the laws of inadvertent transgressions and their sacrifices. And then following that, we have the laws of Tumura, the laws of. I'm sorry, following that we have Mechusre Kapora, the laws of people who still have to bring an offering before they become 100% pure even though they've immersed in the mikvah. And following that we have Tumura, where he goes into the details of this replacement pledge or designation. So being that this is already a replacement, because we're talking about 11. 11 is already a replacement for 10. That's how it got holy. So there is no law of Tumura. Because it is already Tumura. Now he says a very important law. Does all this apply? The guy who's counting one, two, three is the owner. The owner can make mistakes and it can cost him three animals. But if somebody says to his employee or to his son or I don't know what, to his servant, do me a favor, go, I empower you to do the tithe for me. And the guy was not good at math. He hung around the hallways in school. So he made a mistake. Or even the ninth or the eleventh, only the tenth becomes holy. Which one? Havadai, the certain tenth, Novad alone. Why? Because the guy can say, I didn't designate you as my proxy to make mistakes and to lose me money. You know, if I take one animal and it becomes an offering, that's a tenth. If I take three animals, that's almost a third of the, the, the whole tenth. It's crazy. I only made you my proxy in order to do it properly, to sanctify the animal by the rules. Now he goes on to say, Zeshu that which we said earlier, that if you refer to 11 as 10, it becomes sacred. That is when he called number 10. He called it 9 by mistake. So number 11, he calls 10 by mistake. Then it becomes holy. And here's a very important law. Whenever he calls number 10, 10. Along comes the 10th sheep, along comes the 10th lamb, 10th lamb or goat, or, or, or calf. And he calls it 10. And then he refers to the 11th as 10 as well. It means nothing. The 11th is not sanctified. Why? Because we have a 10th. We have a 10th. We're finished. Done. Because the certain 10th. Nobody removed the title of 10th from it by mistake. It's only a problem when somebody calls the 10th the 9th. Or the 11th. But if you refer to it as the 10th, it can't be another 10th. Furthermore, the Rambam tells us something fantastic. Even if the 10th animal comes out, and he doesn't say 10, he doesn't say 9, he doesn't say 11, he doesn't say nothing. It becomes holy. Because it's 10. And then comes 11. And he called the 11th the 10th. It's not sacred. Why? Because he did not call the 10th any other name. He didn't call the 10th the 9th. Because the 10th automatically becomes sacred. As long as you don't do something not to permit it to become sacred. Like to call it 9. Even though he didn't call it 10. Being that he didn't call it something else. Thereby removing the number, the number 10. The 11th will not become sacred. Now he says in 4. What if the 9th and 10th come out together? They push out the corral door together. So the truth is, you have no ninth and you have no tenth. They're both the ninth and the tenth. Whether we call them both ten, whether we call them nine, makes no difference. Because they came out together, they both become holy. But you can't have two. You can only have one. You let it be eaten once it develops a blemish. Both of them. Because there's no one that you could say is primary. And you cannot offer them because they came out together. So there was never a tenth. There was a simultaneous ninth tenth. The same law applies if the tenth and the eleventh came out together. If he calls them ten, then they're both mixed integrated one with the other. And it has the same law we learned earlier as tithe animals that became mixed with peace offerings that they should be eaten only when they develop a blemish. As we explained earlier in the laws of unfit sacrifices. If he calls them 11, then you have 10 and the 10th which is holy and a mundane animal integrated with one another and they should be eaten when they get blemished. Now comes an interesting scenario. What if he was counting them not by ones but by twos? He filled in this, he started counting, and two animals came out together, which, of course, are the first and the second. The best thing is if he now counts by pairs. So when you have two animals come out together and you're counting by pairs, what's the first number? One. One pair. It's like socks. And he sanctifies the tenth pair. 
So now you'll have a total of 20 lambs, and two of them will be sacred. That's good. Because he counts one, 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 ten, and the ten disappear. Or the same thing applies if he counts them by threes. Chamisha, chamisha, he counts them by fives. We count the shakato as It's okay for the tenth group to be sanctified because it's a form of counting. Okay, not a problem. What if two animals came out together and he said one? And then animal number three comes out and he says two. Now this is a problem because it's not pairs and it's not singles. He's mixing it. And he continues. He has the first two. He says one. Then he has the third. He says two. And he keeps going. Three, four. The ninth and the tenth both are holy. Because we're not sure how this works. Because the ninth is really the tenth, but the tenth was called the tenth. Let it be eaten when it becomes blemished. You have to have the ninth as a designated sacrifice. Because that's for sure the tenth. How could the ninth be the tenth? Because the first two came out together. So when he said one, he really should have said one too. Maybe. And the one we call ten is not the tenth because it's really the eleventh. The is the eleventh. And we learned earlier that if somebody calls the eleventh ten, this kind should become sanctified. Commission beyond as we explain. Zayin no What if he counted them backwards? The first one came out and he said ten, nine, eight, seven, six. Then the second one came out. and he said nine. And then the tenth one came out. and he counted one. The one he counted one with his holy. because the truth is that was the tenth that came out. See, when we were kids, we used to do that. We used to say, watch, I have 11 fingers. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 5 is 11. Took me four years to figure it out. I was 17. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. I figured it out for sure at 16. What if he, he called the ninth 10? Now here we get into a whole different set of laws, which are very interesting. The ninth animal came out, and he says, you're 10. He made a mistake. The real 10th was in the corral, never came out. The ninth can be eaten when it develops a blemish, because it was called 10. But what's the real ten? Will the real ten please stand up? The one left in the corral? Maser is the tithe. Even though it never emerged. The late didn't choose it. Again, we go back. We revert to the principle. The ten becomes sanctified on its own automatically. Now the plot thickens. What if the ten died in the corral? Hachi, the ninth that was called ten, should be eaten when it's blemished. The Cholash and all the eight that came out earlier, the Nimno are counted, two of them are exempt. What? Why are they exempt? We don't have a tenth. This is a very important axiomatic rule. The even though their tenth was never declared as sacred, we call it to be offered. died before that was able to occur. It's okay. Why? And here the Rambam lays down the rule. Very interesting rule. because just because he counted properly, and at the time he counted one, two, three, there was ten. There were ten. It's just that he never got there because he died. But it doesn't mean that the ones that were counted should not be okay. Interesting, interesting rule. What if he took ten lambs and put it into the corral? Then he was counting. Then one of them died. He keeps counting and sanctifies the tenth. Even though, how could you count ten? There's only nine living ones because when he counted, it was living. As long as while it happened, it was good. The fact that it died does not change the facts. And again, these are all very interesting legal precedents. This is legal logic that we're establishing here. What if one of the lambs that are in the corral died? The ones that were already counted are exempt. Because when you count properly for the purposes of tithe, as long as it's good at this moment while you're counting, even though in the end nothing was set aside, it's not the setting aside that is as important as the counting to be able to set aside. As we explain. So you're counting one, two, three, it's all good. What if you were counting, and then you have a few sheep left, a few lambs left in the corral, you then switch it to another corral to become part of another group of ten. A simple example, somebody had 14 lambs. and put them into a corral. <coughs> Remember the principle we established. As long as when you're counting, it's good, it's good. It makes no difference what happens later. So four went out the door. He counted. One, two, three, four. Were there enough left to count the tens? Of course there were. We started with 14. You have another 10 left. So far, so good. Then what happened was there was another door. 
and the remaining ten sheep switch doors. Wait, wait. That means we're starting to count again. So now six goes out the other door. One, two, three, four, five, six. So what do you have now? You have four went out one door. Six went out the other door. How many are left in the corral? Four. There are four left in the corral. So what's the deal? The deal is, I'm glad you asked. If the four go out the door where the six went out, it's all good. Because six plus four, somebody's taking off their socks to count six plus four. <laughs> six plus four is, somebody just said seven. Six plus four is ten. Night on the he takes one. <clears throat> the Kulam him, so that's perfect. Six and four is ten. So the tenth is the tithe. <clears throat> well, what about the first four that went out the other door? The first four that went out, you know what? While they were emerging, everything was good. Therefore, they emerged properly, they're done. Even though there was no follow up. Because the follow up came out the other door. Now, my friends, what if the four that were left in the corral did not go out the door of the six, but they went out the door of the four? Now you have eight. So the four that went out to begin with, that was a good count. The six that went out the other door was a good count. Because there was enough left. When the four went out, how many were left? Ten. When the six went out, how many were left? Four. It's all good. But the four that were left, even though they, went, they then went and emerged out the first door, that's not a kosher count. Because you can, as we used to say when we were kids, you can stand on your head and spit wooden nipples. It's a good health. There can't be ten. There's only four plus four. It's not a right count. There is no choice, but you take the last four, and you put them in another corral. So again, we're reasserting the principle that as long as when the count was happening, it could have happened, it's good. Even though it didn't happen. Next scenario, new scenario, four lambs, four sheep went out. One door. And four went out the other door. How many are left in the corral? From 14. There's six left in the corral. Because six plus four is ten, plus four is fourteen. What if the six went out through one of the two doors? Then all you need is one of the ten, because six plus four is ten, to be the tenth, and they're all exempt. What if the six went out not through one door, which makes ten, but they went out three and three from two doors? Here, that as far as these six are concerned, it could have never happened. You've got to take the six to a different corral. But the four and four, or the eight that went out to begin with, they're exempt, because for them it was done right. <coughs> for the six it was not done right. Because all four still had six. Every one of the four still had six behind it. It could have been ten. Because there was at every point six left in the corral. But as far as the six are concerned, because they split, it ruined it all for the six. What if you had 19 lambs in the corral? 19. Nine went out one door. Nine went out the other door. So we got nine and nine. There's only one left, because 99 is 18. And there's one left. He can actually take the last one and make it the tithe offering of the Kulam to him. And they're all exempt. So this guy actually saved. He got one offering out of 19. Because every one of the ninth that went out both doors were done right. Okay, now we're going to complicate things. He's counting, and the lamb sticks its head and the majority of its body outside the corral door, and then makes a U-turn and goes back. <coughs> or backs up and goes back. Goes into the reverse. Being that its head and the majority of its body emerged, it's considered counted. Not a problem. What if somebody's counting and he has to concentrate? It's not easy to count from 1 to 10. I think when, God forbid, when somebody is stopped uh, under the influence in some places, the, the officer tells him to count from 10 to 1 backwards. That's a great accomplishment if you can count to 10 to 1. Here's a great accomplishment if you do it forwards. So what happened? His friend went and interrupted him. His friend came over and said, Hey, how about the Yankees? So another problem happened. The sun was setting, and the sun did set, and it's Friday night, and you're not allowed to tithe on Friday night. So just as he was at seven, boom, the sun sets. He can keep going afterwards. 
after the friend interrupts him or after Shabbos. What if he was enumerating, counting those who went out, one by one, sanctifying the tens? So far, so good. But now the plot really thickens. One of the lambs or sheep or goats, goats usually do this, who are already counted, jumped, and suddenly is right back in the corral. And now is amongst those who are not yet counted. Now we know that one of the goats in the untithed corral is already designated as, as counted. They're all exempt. Why? Because every one of the lambs or sheep or goats in the corral, we're not sure whether they've been counted or not. And we already learned that in the case when you're counting, all those that were counted are exempt, as stated in chapter 6, halacha 15, that wherever there's a doubt whether an animal must be counted for the tithing, it is exempt because of the liberal leaning of this set of halachas. And finally, the closing, halacha 15. What if one of those designated as 10? And it's not for no reason that you're supposed to take some dye and put it on the animal to recognize it. Obviously, he didn't do that. So now you have one of the designated sacrifices jump back into the corral. So you have a corral filled with animals. One of them is a sacrifice. Usually, we got a problem. Kulam yiru. They should all be allowed to pasture forever. And forever is a very long time. Until they become blemished. Once they become blemished, they may be eaten with their blemish. And the Rambam concludes, as he always does, by saying, Blessed be Rachamona, the merciful God, the Siyayon, who helped us and granted us assistance to conclude yet another set of halachas, the laws of firstborn and tithes. And that's it. Amen. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchesh Goges, the laws of sacrifices offered to make atonement for inadvertent transgressions. And that's the key word. One cannot sin and just bring a sacrifice. If people think that that's what used to happen, they're making a big mistake. This is only when a sin was committed accidentally or inadvertently or unintentionally. That's the general rule. Yes, in this general section, there are chamesh mitzvahs, I say, it covers five positive commandments, and these are the details. That an individual bring a fixed sin offering. And we talk about fixed relative to sliding scale, which exists in other settings. This is a fixed non-sliding scale, which means rich or poor, everybody brings the same sacrifice for the same inadvertent transgression. That a guilt offering should be offered. If somebody is uncertain, whether he sinned or he didn't sin, until he becomes certain that he sinned, then he can bring a sin offering. Again, inadvertent. This is called a osham toli. It like, is hanging there. We're not sure whether yes or no, and it's talui, it's dependent upon whether it was or it wasn't. Now comes a whole different category of law that a person who sins should bring a special guilt offering for specific transgressions covered in the Torah. This is the category of a certain, a definite or definitive guilt offering. That a person should offer an offering for certain particular enumerated transgressions, and this is the sliding scale. If he was wealthy, he brings an animal, because animals cost a lot of money. Even in Costco, it costs a lot of money. You go to the, uh, to the bull section. Very expensive. And the Torah allows for a person who was not wealthy, he's poor. He can buy a much more inexpensive offering. He can bring a bird. Or if somebody was very poor, poorer than a synagogue mouse, he can bring a tenth of a measure of flour, which, of course, is much cheaper than a bird, much, much, much cheaper than an animal. This is what's called a sliding scale offering, depending upon your income. Hey, the final mitzvah that this section covers Shiakribu Hassan Hedrin that the Supreme Court of 71, the Sanhedrin, should offer Karban an offering in To'u if they made a mistake. And they decided the law, Shalaika Halacha, as the law should not be decided. They made a mistake and they decided that A is B or that B is A. In one of the severe transgressions, usually idol worship, for example, if there was a particular act which became the rage in the idol worship community and the Sanhedrin had to examine whether it is considered idol worship or not and they ruled erroneously, they said it's not, but really it should have been. That's an example, I mean, there's a lot of details here. I'm giving a general idea of what we could be talking about, that the whole Sanhedrin could make a mistake, because they made a mistake in the premise of the decision of their ruling. So these are the five mitzvahs we cover. Now, the Rambam, in his brilliant organizational style, starts from the beginning and builds a building. Pay the Christian, chapter 1, Aleph, Halacha 1. 
Call hoiver bishgogo, anyone who transgresses inadvertently, that means unintentionally, accidentally, al-achas mi mitzvah one of the negative commandments. It has to be a negative commandment in order for the sacrifice to be able to be brought for it. Sheyesh by so the other contingency is, it has to involve something that you do, rather than something you don't do. There are sins of commission, sins of omission. Commission means you do something. That's what we're talking about. Omission means you don't do something. You can't bring a korban chatas for something you don't do. Even if you should have done it. And the third contingency is, Shechayovin Oleho Chorus. The punishment has to be a very severe punishment, the cutting off of the soul, which is one of the punishments prescribed in Torah. So these are the three general conditions. And these are key conditions to remember. Number one, it has to be inadvertent, accidental, not intentional. Number two, it has to involve doing something, a sin of commission. Number three, had one done it intentionally, the punishment would have been the cutting off of the soul. Now that one did it unintentionally, there is this korban. Then one is culpable, obligated to offer korban, an offering. What kind of offering? Chatos. This is the famous sin offering. And as we learned so many times earlier, that in order for there to be a sin offering, there has to be a sin. This is the sin there has to be. If these three conditions mesh and fuse, it is in a positive commandment, that this person who inadvertently transgressed, doing something that would have resulted in the cutting off of the soul, had it been intentional, he has to bring a sin offering, for his inadvertent act, bays too. The rule of thumb is that any transgression, where had one, committed this transgression wantonly and intentionally, he would be getting the cutting off of the soul punishment, simply that his soul is cut off from Hashem, and back during the time of the Beis he died at a young age, without children, and so on, all the details of this punishment. Chayovim al anything that the intentional transgression of, carries with it, chorus, the cutting off of the soul, the inadvertent violation of it, has, it has this obligation of sin offering. And here the Rambam says that's across the board, chutz, with the exception of, Mishalish Avedis, three transgressions. Megadev, one who curses God, one who does not observe, intentionally does not observe the mitzvah of circumcision, and one who does not, intentionally does not bring a paschal offering. Why? Why are these three transgressions which result in the cutting off of the soul do not result in the korban chatos? The answer is, the two of the three, the paschal sacrifice and circumcision, of course, they don't involve the whole idea of a chatos, of a sin offering. Because bringing a paschal sacrifice and circumcising oneself, these are positive commandments. They're not negative commandments. We covered earlier the axiom that a sin offering is only brought for the inadvertent transgression of a negative commandment. These are positive commandments. As it says, which will not be done. Meaning it has to involve a not-be-done transgression, a negative commandment. And the third of the three is Megadev. Megadev is blasphemy, cursing God. Because there is no deed. Cursing God involves speech. And although in certain situations speech can also be punished by the Bedin, but not in this situation, there has to be a deed, not merely a speech. Because here it says, to one who does, who acts, Mishkoga inadvertently, Yotza, this excludes Megad, the one who blasphemies. There's no deed, only speech. If somebody accepts an idol as his God, he says about this idol, this is my God, even though clearly the punishment for that would be the cutting off of the soul. Amazing, if he was really intentional, he would be stoned. In Kibobish Goga, if he did it inadvertently, he's exempt from a sacrifice. Because here, he did not do something, even though had he done it intentionally, he could be killed. And then it says, one who commits and does one. The expression here is specifically doing any transgression in the Torah, which is punishable by kores, with the exception of the three forms of mitzvahs, which we just enumerated, that do result in kores, but do not result in the korban shogeh, which three? Mila, circumcision, paschal sacrifice, and blasphemy. So all of the above, with the exception of the three, if an individual person transgressed any of them inadvertently, maybe he must bring a fixed sin offering, and the word fixed will be defined soon. Chutz, the exception will be, someone who was ritually defiled, who ate of the holy, and someone who was ritually defiled, who entered the holy temple, and both of the above, do not bring a fixed sin offering. Why? Because the Torah prescribes a sliding scale sin offering for them, as we will learn. There's a sliding scale offering, as we will explain. So now we explain all the general rules. What is this sin offering? What is the offering? What does it consist of? So he says, a fixed sin offering, number one, it can be brought only from an animal, only from an animal, no other possibility. 
the carbon elevated, but the other carbon we just talked about, the sliding scale one, who carbon she'en kabua is not fixed. What does it mean not fixed? It depends on one's economic situation. Depends where he fits in in the economic status. If he would be considered wealthy, maybe then he has to bring an animal which is more expensive. If he was poor, maybe he could bring a bird. Or if he was very poor, he could bring a tenth of a measure of fine flour, as we will explain. So we have here, we conclude, if you study it closely, you know that all of the transgressions which an individual can possibly be obligated to bring a fixed offering, if you count all of these transgressions that fit all of these general rules, they are they are 43. Why? Because they have to be positive, not negative. And they have to be able to be resulting in the punishment of Kores if they were done intentionally. And they cannot include the exceptions we learned about. So therefore, of all the negative commandments, it's only 43. And the following, and here the Rambam goes on to enumerate of these 43, 26, which have to do with transgressions of intimacy. Of being intimate with someone the Torah forbids us to be intimate with. One, if someone is intimate with his mother, or with his wife's mother, mother-in-law, or his wife's mother's mother, Dalid for his father's mother, I'm sorry, I'll aim on the mother of his wife's father. If he's intimate with his daughter, with his daughter's daughter, the daughter of his son, the daughter of one's wife, the daughter of her daughter, the daughter of her son, his sister, on one's sister who is the daughter of his father's wife, on his father's sister, his mother's sister, his wife's sister, his wife's sister, Father's wife, his father's brother's wife, his son's wife, the wife of his brother, on any married woman, if somebody's intimate with a male, his own father, his father's brother, if somebody lies with an animal, a man lies with an animal, a woman who's intimate with an animal, all of the negative commandments resulting in the cutting off of the soul that have to do with transgressions of forbidden relations are Esme Bishalash, 23. I guess it's 26, not 23. And the rest of the sins are, Shavai, say 17. These are transgressions not involving intimacy prohibitions. Someone who acts, violating the law of idol worship. Someone who gives of his children to the idol called Molech, which was a very popular Canaanite form of worship. Gimel, Baal, Oiv, one who commits the transgression of, oh, which was a popular Idol back then, or Yudoni, another popular idol. All of these have to involve deed. Hey, on the Chalas HaShabbos, if somebody transgresses, Shabbos, if somebody transgresses, transgresses and does labor on Yom Kippur, or someone who eats and drinks on Yom Kippur, or someone who eats leftover, past the expiration date of a sacrifice, someone who eats hummus, leavened bread, or leavened foods on Pesach, someone who eats forbidden fat, someone who eats blood, someone who eats of the offering, where inappropriate thoughts of identity of sacrifice, place or time, as we learned at great, in great detail earlier, someone who eats this, someone who offers holy sacrifices outside the temple courtyard, Someone who offers any offering outside the temple courtyard. Someone who mixes the anointing oil mixture. Someone who mixes the spices, the incense that was used in the temple. Or prepares. These are the 43 sins whose transgressions carries this set fixed offering. Now we know what sins one has to bring an offering for. What is the offering that is brought? Define the sacrifice. So he says it depends what the transgression was. If the transgression involved idol worship, maybe then he has to bring a female goat of the first year of its life. That is always for an inadvertent transgression involving idolatry. That's the particular sacrifice covered in the portion of Shlach in the book of Numbers. And that includes whether the sinner was a regular person, a male or even a king, a king, a high priest, or a chaplain high priest, a high priest that was appointed to be a chaplain of the army. Everybody is equal. When it comes to the transgression, the inadvertent 
commission of a transgression involving idol worship, always that female goat of the first year. Avol, however, if we're not talking about the idol worship one, but any of the other 42, in all your head, if he was a regular person, a civilian, a regular Joe, maybe Seiras Izim, he brings a female goat, a Nikeva Minakwasim, or a female sheep, that is the sin offering of one of the people of the land, enumerated in the book of Leviticus. That's a regular person. He brings this Seiras Izim, female goat, or female sheep, but if he's a king, maybe Seiras Izim, then he brings a male goat as a sin offering. If he was the anointed high priest, maybe Par Ben Boker, he brings a bull. Son of a cattle, the Chatos, and it's one of these unique transgressions that is burned. Commission is as all the details are explained, and we covered all these things in great detail. Okay, I just lost my place. Uh, hey, whether only one individual erroneously inadvertently committed one of the above, a Merubim, or a group of individuals committed one of the above transgressions, the same law applies. Whether it's one or a hundred, it makes no difference. It's one law, one who commits Bishkoga inadvertently. Kesa, for example, the people of a whole city. Made an error. Medimu, when they imagined, Shayin Chayo. They said, today is a weekday. Barehu Yom Kippur. Turns out it was Yom Kippur. And their calendar was wrong. I guess the mortuary who printed the calendar made a mistake. The Chulon Ochul Be'asim Alocha. And they all ate. And they all worked. Which are two prohibitions. Kolechem Mehen. Every individual maybe must bring Shekha twice. Two sin offerings. Why? Because it's in the list. And it's a negative commandment. And it's punishable by the cutting off of the soul. Kipsay or Kvasay Say Seiris. As enumerated earlier. Either female sheep or goat. Mehen of Shagagul Kulam. So also if they all transgressed inadvertently, the Ekturu and they offered incense, Lavegazar unknowingly to an idol. Kolechem Mehen. 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 Every one of the worshippers, maybe A's, Vashnos Alachatos, must bring this one year, this goat of the first year as a sin offering. So why is that? That's because they all transgressed together. But it had nothing to do with the entire court making a mistake. But if we're talking about an erroneous ruling by the court, it has a very different halacha as is covered in that particular section. I think this is it. End of chapter one. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchais Shigogos, the laws of sacrifices brought for inadvertent sins. Perik Sheni, chapter 2. In chapter 1, in the very beginning, we learned that when somebody meets the following prerequisites. Number one, he violated a negative commandment involving action. Number two, that the punishment for the violation of this negative commandment, were it to be violated intentionally, would be the cutting off of the soul. Number three, that the violation is inadvertent. This brings about the obligation of a sin offering. Perik Sheni, chapter 2. A person is never obligated, liable, to bring a sin offering for his inadvertent transgression until he will be committing this inadvertently, unintentionally from beginning to end. If there's any point from beginning to end where he knows what he's doing, then that does not meet the requirements of this inadvertent transgression because then it loses the categorization of inadvertent. However, in Shogag if in the very beginning it was inadvertent, he didn't know what he was doing. The hazed basa, but by the time he got to the end, he knew very well what he was doing and did it anyway. A hazed batchilah, or in the beginning he did it intentionally. Meshagag basa, and in the end he didn't realize what he was doing. Either of these scenarios, potter are exempt. Mikarban chatas from the offering of sin offering, which must be for a transgression committed inadvertently from beginning to end. Ketzad, spell it out. For example, or as we used to say back in New Jersey, give me a for instance. Again, for example. The transgression we speak of is somebody who took an object from one domain to another domain on Shabbos, which we know is forbidden. And we learned this in great detail in the laws of Shabbos. In order to be able to commit this type of transgression, one must have two components. Akira, lifting the object up, and Hanukkah, putting the object down. That's what it takes to commit the entire transgression. Okar bezodin, if when he picked it up, he was doing it intentionally. But when he put it down in the other domain, it was inadvertent. Okar or... He lifted it up inadvertently, and put it down intentionally. In any of these scenarios or similar, Potter is exempt. In order to meet the requirements of a korban chatas, of a sin offering, it has to be that he lifted it up inadvertently, put it down inadvertently. That's one example. But there are endless examples of these types of scenarios. So from beginning to end, it has to be inadvertent. 
Beis. Oh, but what if he transgressed the commandment? He knew that this was a negative commandment forbidden by the Torah. Okay, so what didn't he know? He didn't know that this was punishable by the cutting off of the soul. He thought it was a regular negative commandment. And we know that the sin offering sacrifice only comes for that category of commandments that have the chorus punishment for the intentional violation. This can be considered inadvertent because he didn't know there was chorus, even though he knew it was forbidden. Or maybe for this, he can't bring a sin offering. But if he knew that this transgression was punishable by chorus, the shogag bakorban, and what he did not know is that an inadvertent transgression of this commandment results in the obligation of a sacrifice. He wasn't sure whether a sacrifice is required or not. This is already considered intentional. When you're not sure of the chorus aspect, that's one thing. But when one is uncertain whether there is a liability for a sacrifice, is not considered inadvertent in these sins, in these category sins. In the chorus category of sins. So just not knowing that a sacrifice is required for inadvertent transgression or being unsure, that's not enough to put it in the category of inadvertent. Now, the plot thickens, Gimel 3. If someone is not sure of the type of sin that he transgressed, even though what he was sure of is he knew he certainly violated a negative commandment that results in the cutting off of the soul if it was committed intentionally but he was not sure the type of, sac- of sin he offered he, I'm sorry the type of sin he committed and the Rambam will give examples the fact that he's unsure of the nature of the sin he transgressed exempts him from chatos as it says the verse specifically states Asher he sinned with it it means he knows what he did he has to clearly be aware cognizant of the sin that he committed for example he had two prohibited substances sitting before him. One was forbidden fat, called chaleb, and the other was no sorry, we learned at great length, offerings, sacrificial components left after their expiration date. He had both of them. One thing he knows for sure is that he ate one of them. The ain you do, but he's not sure, which one he ate. Maybe he ate the forbidden fat, maybe he ate the leftover sacrifice. In any event, he committed a transgression, but he's not sure which one. Another example. If his wife is in her menstrual cycle, therefore prohibiting intimacy, and his sister is also in the house, he was intimate with one of them, then you do a but he's not certain which one. Or, third scenario, Shabbos Vienna Kippur in the front of him, he had Shabbos in front of him, and he also had Yom Kippur in front of him, he also and he did a transgression, either on Yom Kippur or on Shabbos, he doesn't remember, then you do a Bezamem also, he doesn't remember whether it was Yom Kippur day or Shabbos day, he knew it was a biggie. All of these, the transgression was committed for sure, but he's not sure which one. Because he's not sure which sin, in all of the above scenarios, he's exempt from the sin offering. Dalid. Next scenario, he sinned. He knew clearly what he did. And then he forgot. That's what you call short-term memory. Being that he once knew, he brings the sin offering for with the intent of whatever it was. And it should be eaten, like all the other sin offerings that should be eaten. If the transgression he committed <coughs> was clear, but he wasn't sure of the name, there were two entities, yet he knew he, knew he violated one of them. Chayav is culpable. Okay, and here he spells it out. For example, there were two women who were in a state of nida, which makes intimacy prohibited because of Nida, and inadvertently he had, he, committed, he was intimate with one of them, he is not sure whether it was this woman or the other woman, but one thing's for sure, there was a prohibition because they were both prohibited, or two sisters, and he committed a transgression with one of them, he is not sure which one, they look so much alike, he's liable for sin offering, why? Because the fact that he committed the sin is clear, the question is, was it with, with person A or person B? He knew the nature of the sin, he knew what he did, he just is not sure whether it was with A or B, now, the Rambam says, if this seems perplexing to you, because he's not sure with whom he was intimate, why should he be able to bring a sin offering because of this inadvertent transgression? Says the Rambam, I'll give you a simple example which will help you understand this. What can this be compared to? If there were two candles burning on Shabbos, you're not allowed to extinguish a candle on Shabbos. 
Achasmehem, he extinguished one of them. And at the end, he didn't know if he extinguished this candle or the other candle, because they both went out. Sooner or later, the other one went out as well. He knows he extinguished the candle, he doesn't know one or the other. The answer is, what difference does it make? It's a candle. Or there were two dishes, <coughs> two gourmet dishes, they had forbidden fat within them. And he ate, he consumed one of these gourmet dishes, one of these dishes. He's not sure of which dish he tasted, he ate. He's culpable. So the fact that he doesn't know whether it was this dish or this dish, not a big deal. He violated the mitzvah of not eating chaylev. He violated the mitzvah of not extinguishing fire on Shabbos. He violated the mitzvah of not being intimate with a nidah. And so on and so forth. The same thing applies to any similar <coughs> scenario. Bob six. What if somebody is liable to bring a fixed sin offering? We learned earlier the definition of fixed sin offering for his inadvertent sin. And he did it inadvertently. But he only found out after he did it. Even though in the beginning of his commission of the sin, he was unaware that it was even a sin. He is liable for sin offering. Ketzad, for example. Tinek Shanishba Levein Oidekecham. The Rabbam sets up this scenario by using the famous example of Tinek Shanishba. The scenario is a child was kidnapped, raised amongst Gentiles, never knew anything about Judaism. He knew zero. The God, and then he grew up. He has no idea what the definition of a Jew is. He has no idea what a Jew is. He has no idea what the rules and regulations that you have to live by is. The awesome Allah Shabbos and this Tinek Shanishba committed a transgression. He did a forbidden labor on Shabbos, or he ate the forbidden fat, or he consumed the blood which is forbidden, or any other sin. He has no idea he's a Jew. He has no idea what it means to be a Jew. He has no idea that Jews don't do this, because he's a Tinek Shanishba. One of the famous teachings in our world today, why we must be so open to bringing people back to Judaism today is because the average person who does not observe Judaism today falls into this category. He simply doesn't know any better. It's not like once upon a time where everybody knew, and if somebody drifted away from Judaism, he wanted to. Today, people simply don't know. So this is a very famous categorization. Tinek Shanishba, you're a child who was kidnapped and you grew up, meaning you have no idea what Judaism is. You have no idea what the rules and regulations are. Back to the scenario. So this person violated a prohibition. Then one fine day he finds out, ah, I'm a Jew. And what did you ask to do? He now has to go back, and on every category of transgression, he has to bring a sin offering. Because then he didn't know, now he knows. And the same applies to every similar situation. And even though he didn't know that a transgression was involved, uh, still, once he finds out, then he has to go ahead and bring these offerings. If somebody transgresses unintentionally in engaging in forbidden relationships of intimacy, or a similar transgression, consuming a forbidden food. And the, the Rambam, in his teachings, lists in the same general category forbidden intimacies and forbidden foods because they are indulgences which are forbidden. He's culpable, he's liable for a sin offering. Even though it was unintentional. But, interestingly enough, the Shabbos, if the same scenario occurs in a violation of the Sabbath, Potter is exempt of a sin offering. Because, as we will explain, there is an idea on Shabbos there's an idea related to violations of Shabbos that doesn't exist in intimacy or forbidden foods, and that is Meleches Machsheves Omra Torah. The Torah says you have to think and know and be aware of what you're doing. You have to have knowledge, thought, intent, kavanah, even in the inadvertent. And therefore here, if he had no idea what he was doing in intimacy or in forbidden foods, there are scenarios where a sin offering would be obligatory. But on Shabbos, because it's not Meleches Machsheves, as you will explain, it would be exempt from this sin offering. Ketzad, how does this work? For example, Hayamisasek and Isha Oviola. For example, he was engaged in doing something with a woman, but it was casual, there was no intimacy involved, and suddenly it resulted in intimacy. There was no intent. And she is biblically forbidden to him. And these are difficult scenarios to give examples for. But this is Allah. Or, Dima, he imagined, in the eating department. He knew he had a chunk of something in his mouth, but he figured it was his own saliva. And he swallowed his own saliva. So in his mind, he wasn't even eating. Swallowing saliva is not eating. It turned out it was not saliva, it was forbidden fat. Here, in these situations, he is liable for sin offering. 
However, if it was Shabbos, Shabbat, Nishkab, and Arbiya, as I told us, if he intended to lift up something that was already severed from the ground, the Chodach has Samachub, but little did he know it was not severed, so he cut something that was connected, without intent, he didn't intend to cut it, because he thought it was separate already. But here he's exempt from sacrifice. Why? Here comes the key words, when it comes to Shabbos, the Torah only prohibits a purposeful, intentional labor, as we explained. So here, even in the inadvertent realm, we need to have some level of consciousness. If somebody, here the Rambam enters into a whole different world. Very interesting. If somebody is engaged in performing a positive commandment, anyone, and in the line of duty of performing this commandment, inadvertently a transgression was performed, where? There would have been the cutting off of the soul. Had he done it intentionally, but he, done it, he did it unintentionally, inadvertently, but it was in the performance of a mitzvah, being that he was performing a mitzvah, the inadvertent transgression does not require a sin offering. Because even though what he did was not 100%, to prove it, he violated something. But still, his actions were in line with what the Torah commands. He did it with the permission of the Torah. Kesar, for example. If somebody is intimate with a Leverite woman, somebody's brother passes away without children, his wife has to be taken as a Leverite wife. Unbeknownst to him, she was in the middle of her menstrual cycle. And he had no idea. Being that it was unintentional, he's exempt from the sin offering of the... Intimacy with Nidah. Shari also Birshus because the act of intimacy with this woman was mandated by the Torah, with the permission of the Torah. The fact that it resulted in a negative commandment inadvertently, yes, it was a negative commandment, yes, it was inadvertent, but being that it was part of the performance of a mitzvah, the sin offering cannot be brought. It doesn't mean it's okay. Had he known, they shouldn't have done it. Does the same thing apply between husband and wife? What if he was intimate with his own wife and she turns out to be a Nidah? Here there is the obligation of Chatas. Because between husband and wife, there should always be this knowledge, whether it is during the cycle or it's during a permissible time. But in the case of his Leverite, Wife, he has no habit with her, he's not used to her, he doesn't know her in order to ask her. So that's a scenario that he describes. Another scenario, there were two children, two babies, one was born at the time and under the conditions that it required to be circumcised on Shabbos. Meaning, it was born the Shabbos before and there were no complications and it wasn't a Caesarean and it, all of the deals and it was not after sunset or before sunset or, or it wasn't during twilight. So clearly, this child has to be circumcised on Shabbos if he's well. But the other child was either born a few minutes earlier or a few minutes later, and the circumcision had to take place, not Shabbos, but Friday or Sunday. And that's quite common. A child is born during twilight, he can't do the bris on Shabbos. And he forgot. Such excitement. All the bagels and locks and cream cheese. And he circumcised them both on Shabbos. One was correct and one wasn't. But being that he was engaged in a permissible mitzvah, circumcision of a child that had to be circumcised, he just went a little overboard and circumcised the other child as well. So he's exempt from this in offering. Because he had the permission, the blessings of the Torah, to circumcise at least one of them on Shabbos. So for the purpose of circumcision, his Shabbos was superseded. And he did a mitzvah. Even though these are two different children, he shouldn't have done the other child. Being that he was in a state of confusion, he was not meticulous as he should have been. That's why he's bringing his in offering. I'm sorry. That's why we think he should perhaps bring his in offering, but of course, being that he was in the performance of a mitzvah, he doesn't. But if neither of these children could have been circumcised on Shabbos because neither of them was clearly obligated. And he forgot. And he did circumcise one or two on Shabbos. Someone who is not fit to be circumcised. He is obligated to bring a sin offering. Why? Because he inadvertently committed a transgression. There's an interesting situation in this mitzvah. If a child is born after sunset in the twilight, then it always has to be pushed off for the day later. So when you have twins, one is born a few minutes earlier, one is born a few minutes later, one could be on Shabbos, and the other one has to be Sunday. Or one could be Friday, and the other one Shabbos. So it's, it's a very... It happens. What if an expert, Moel, comes as the day is waning on Shabbos? And they said to him, Listen, mister, you got to hustle. There's no time left in the day. It's almost after Shabbos. And we're telling you that if you begin 
the circumcision. You won't finish it until Shabbos is over. So what's the problem? Shabbos is over. The problem is the problem is that the Moel will be making a wound in a child. The only reason the wound can be made on Shabbos is because it's in the act of performing a mitzvah. But here, not finishing while it's still Shabbos will create the wound, but not the mitzvah. Yomar, and he says, don't you worry about a thing, I'm an expert. Rogelani, I am proficient. Vizorius, and I am filled with alacrity. And I do this chick-chuck, quickly. And if, in fact, all his bragging came to naught, and he didn't complete until Shabbos was over, and here's an example of where a sin offering is obligatory, because he actually warned him, yet what he did was unintentional, so it is a sin offering. Now, there is a, law, a rule that we should not use a lulav and an esrog on Shabbos, lest we carry it out into a public domain on Shabbos. And carrying the lulav on Shabbos is a prohibition, a rabbinic prohibition. It, it, it could be a biblical prohibition. Not to use it is a rabbinic prohibition. Somebody takes the lulav out on the first day of Sukkot, and it's Shabbos, he loves his bay, and his intent is to do a mitzvah, even though rabbinically. He's exempt from the mitzvah. And inadvertently, he carried it for four amas approximately six feet, in a public domain, which is a serious violation. Potter, he's exempt from this in offering. Shabbat hates it because he carried the Lulav and Esrik with the blessings of the Torah. The Torah commands us to do it. It's only the rabbinic commandment that says don't do it. So also we learned in great detail if somebody slaughters the Paschal offering, which must be slaughtered even on Shabbos, if the 14th day of Nisan comes out on Shabbos. So that's fine. That's an obligation. And afterwards he finds out that all those who signed up for this Paschal sacrifice backed out. He has no signees. There's no members to this sacrifice. So he did it for nothing. The Shemesu, or those who signed up for this offering, died. They became impure before the slaughtering. Or when they checked the animal inside, they found something was not appropriate with the animal. So the animal could not have lived for 12 months, but they didn't know about it before. Because it was internal. For example, there was a problem in the intestines or the lungs. All the above scenarios are exempt from bringing the sin offering. Because the actual process of slaughtering was with the mandate. It was okay. It was mandated by the Torah. The Torah said, do it. The fact that something happened where people withdrew or they died or they became impure or the animal was found to be non-kosher later. Avol, however, they found the animal was blemished to begin with. Or what was treif about it, the reason he couldn't live for 12 months was very obvious to the eye. Then he is culpable, liable for the sin offering. Because he should have checked and then slaughtered. And therefore this was not in the commission of a mitzvah. Or similar, because it was not in the commission of a mitzvah, it takes on the regular rule of sin offering. What if he slaughtered the Paschal offering on Shabbos? Not for its intent, because accidentally, Potter, he's exempt. He thought it was a different offering. He didn't realize consciously it was a Paschal offering. Why is he exempt? Because the sacrifice is actually kosher. Because removing the name of the sacrifice, in this case Paschal, accidentally is not called a real removal. As we explained in the laws of the forbidden sacrifice. What if he slaughtered other sacrifices thinking they were Paschal? If they are suitable, the type of animal suitable for a Paschal offering, because he does it with permission from the Torah, because it's a suitable species. If it's not a suitable species, if it was female, or more than over the, sec- over the second birthday, and we know that the Paschal offering cannot be female, and cannot be over the second birthday, liable for sin offering, because these are not even fit for Paschal sacrifice. And so also, if he inadvertently made a mistake, and he slaughtered it on not for those who signed up for it, not for those who need to eat it, or to those who are uncircumcised, or for those who are impure, a whole list of people for whom he shouldn't have, he's liable for sin offering. Because he shouldn't have done it to begin with. What if there was a mixture of people who were suitable to eat of it and not? Members who signed up for this sacrifice. And non-members. Circumcised males. Uncircumcised males together. For a group that consisted of both impure and pure. Potter is exempt. Because the Paschal sacrifice is acceptable. 
because if it's done in that situation, we learn that it's acceptable. And all similar. What if somebody slaughters a communal offering, not for the sake of that communal offering on Shabbos, which is a problem. He is liable for sin offering. And at night, after Shabbos, he should smoke the inner parts that have to be offered on the altar. Similarly speaking, if he offered more than the obligation of the particular day, an extra offering on Shabbos, if it was inadvertent, he's liable for a sin offering for the extra offering on Shabbos. Only mandated communal offerings can be brought, not extra. What if he brought offerings of an individual that do not supersede Shabbos, but he inadvertently thought they do? He's culpable, he's liable for sin offering. And although this is not a kosher sacrifice, but the meat may be benefited from, although the blood is not sprinkled, but if he transgressed and sprinkled the blood and did everything right, maybe shaking, maybe amazing, unintentionally or intentionally, all of the balance can even be counted as an obligation for the donor owner. And the inner part should be smoked in the evening, because everything was done properly. And then the shochet, who shouldn't have done it, he has to bring a sin offering because of his inadvertent transgression, even though the sacrifice turned out to be good. Now we come in the closing two paragraphs to some interesting scenarios. What if the person who's about to slaughter this sacrifice had two communal offerings in front of him? <coughs> two animals designated for communal offering. One was emaciated, one was anorexic, and the other one was a gorgeous animal. We learned earlier in great detail the Torah mandates the best. When you have a communal offering, you have to pick out the best. So the obligation is clearly to bring the better one. The obligation of a sacrifice for that day was only one animal. So it's not like both animals had to be offered. Only one of the two. Whether this was a sin offering and it was the right animal. Or a burnt offering it was the right animal. He slaughtered both. Which is a problem. Because only one was mandated. If first he slaughtered the emaciated one. And then he slaughtered the healthy one. He is exempt from bringing this sin offering. I'll tell you a step further, says the so, We can even, in some cases, tell him, even though you just slaughtered the emaciated one, now go bring the fat one, because that's the one you should have brought to begin with. Because as he says here in the note, the person or a community is obligated to bring the most superior animal available at the time for its sacrifices. We talked about this in great detail in the conclusion of the laws of Isuri Mizbeach. In fact, if one offers a lesser animal, when a better one is available, the sacrifice is unacceptable. And... The person or the community is not considered to have fulfilled his obligation. Therefore, because he brought the initiated one, not only is he permitted to offer the stockier or healthy-looking, healthier-looking animal, he's obligated to do so. So therefore, <coughs> he's exempt from the sin offering. Ah, well, however, if the scenario is reversed, if he first offered the healthier one, the fatter one, the one he should have offered, and then the initiated one, why did he offer the initiated one he shouldn't have? It was a mistake. Here, he's liable for a sin offering because he brought the other one. Because that shouldn't have happened. The plot thickens even more. What if the first healthy one was found a trefa, a non-usable animal, because it had something wrong in its intestines? In that case, it's a good thing he slaughtered the emaciated one, even though he had no idea when he slaughtered it, because he thought the other one was good. Hell, the being that the mitzvah was done in the end properly, even though he didn't even realize it. And this is a powerful halacha. He's exempt from the sin offering because it turns out he did a good thing, because the other one was not fit. Here the Rambam brings up a sister example. This is a wonderful example. Somebody spreads a fisherman's net to bring fish up. He's going fishing. Gone fishing. He spreads the net. He was not aware that you're not allowed to go fishing on Shabbos. Fishing is part of trapping. But a miracle happened. The fisherman's net pulled out a child still breathing. So he saved the child's life. What a mitzvah. Whether he heard there's a rumor there may be a baby that drowned, he didn't hear it. It makes no difference. He brings the child up out of the water. Wow. Being that it resulted in a good deed, he's exempt from a sin offering. Even though his intention was he was going fishing, hunting. Because it was inadvertent. Similar, similarly, any similar example. Closing. Paragraph of chapter 2. Tezayin 16. What if somebody had before him, it was the Seder night, he had the delicious roasted lamb of the Paschal sacrifice. Mm. He also had prohibited meat left over past the expiration date of a holy sacrifice. What has to be done with this prohibited meat? It has to be burnt. His intention was to eat the roasted Paschal lamb, which is a mitzvah. He ate the leftover. 
sacrifice which is prohibited. This is a classical example of where a sin offering should be brought. Why can't you say, what do you mean? He was doing a mitzvah. No, he wasn't. He was doing a mitzvah if he ate the other one. All other scenarios are not considered committing an inadvertent transgression in the act of a mitzvah because he didn't do the mitzvah. He picked the wrong one. End of chapter 2.